0: In this episode of Startups the Rest of Us, Rob and I are going to be talking about customer acquisition strategies. This is Startups the Rest of Us, episode 397. Welcome to Startups the Rest of Us, the podcast that developers, designers, and entrepreneurs be awesome at building, launching, and growing software products. Whether you built your first product or you're just thinking about it. I'm Mike. And I'm Rob. We're here to share our experiences to help you avoid the same mistakes we've made. So, trivia question for you, Rob: How many times do we say "startups" the rest of us in the intro?
1: Um, three.
0: Yes. I think oh, that's that was correct. a guess. Too. I didn't
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> I remember somebody
0: commenting on that just because they're like, "Oh, you say that a lot." I was like, eh, "It's three times, and it's you know pretty close together, but yeah, it's just we should fr- a few
1: figure out how to shrink that." Should we also record uh, an episode that is just a list of lists?
0: Sure. I thought that sounds like a
1: great idea. (laughs) We we got an iTunes uh, comment that was, it was like a four or a five-star review, but it said, stop making lists. All your episodes are, you know, like listicles or or something like BuzzFeed. And so I went back and looked in the prior 20 episodes. We had three that said, you know, X ways to do this or 20 podcasts we like or X approaches to this. So it was three out of 20. It felt a little... I don't know. That didn't feel like everyone. I also feel like doing that list approach, I don't do it for the BuzzFeed aspect, but I do it because I feel like it helps listeners know kind of what the episode's going to cover. Like it's it's a really concrete outline that people can get their head around. And so they know if we're at number three or number four, they just know how long it's going to go, you know? Yep. So for me, I have been using Zoom for a while, right? We were using it at Drip to do demos and such, and I really enjoy it. It works well in low bandwidth. It is just... Kind of a, a really frictionless experience for people who are trying to get on the call. I cannot stand Skype anymore, man. The user interface and that you have to link up with people and accept this invitation. And the fact that I can just drop a Zoom link somewhere and people just show up and you're there video conferencing is amazing. And I think I'm like still on the free plan, right? I, I had, with Drip, we obviously had a paid plan. But now that I'm just kind of doing stuff on my own, you can get quite a bit. And, and really not have to pay for it. And then the other thing that I signed up for, which I really have never done, I've never done the whole Calendly, you know, send the link and, and book the stuff, but I'm booking just enough things here and there and they're all ad hoc that I decided to try it. So I actually signed up for You Can Book Me, which is a bootstrapped Calendly competitor. And Bridget, you know, the, the co-founder, um, spoke at MicroConf a couple years ago. And then Anna, who was, you know, employee number three or four at Drip, runs customer success for You Can Book Me. And so I wanted to give, give it a, a try and, you know, see what the experience is like. And I've I've been really pleased with it. And again, I think I'm on their free tier as well. But it's it's this combination of things that is just saving me a lot of time and a lot of headache. And I'm sure there are pros and cons of, of You Can Book Me versus Calendly versus the other 10 apps that do it. But I've, I've had a really good experience and it does everything I need, even to the point of, I don't know. It has a lot of options in that app. I was I was impressed with it because I know you know it's been around for for a couple of years, but they've built a ton of features into it. So I just wanted to kind of give them a shout out as a new user.
0: Well, I think it is justified that you're on the free plan, given that you're unemployed. So
1: that's right. <laughs> it's a, it's an income thing, not a uh, not a lack of, of features that I need thing. <laughs> oh, you're not going to let that go, are you? Um, no, not
0: until you start a new startup. <laughs> So this could go on for as long as you want it to.
1: The only way to make it stop, Rob, is to start another company.
0: I will shame you until you do (laughs) that. No, just kidding. Uh, So other thing, um, I'll make a pre-announcement for this because I don't have a contract in place and I don't have like confirmation on this, but you can probably put it tentatively on your calendar and hopefully we won't have to make a correction to this. But MicroConf Europe tentatively scheduled for October 21st to October 23rd in Croatia. So write that down. And I'm hoping that next week I will not have to do a retraction. (laughs) And if you're not uh, on the mailing list for that, you can head over to microconfEurope.com and get on the mailing list for that. Just sign up and we will let you know when we have all the details worked out for everything and when tickets are on sale.
1: I'm stoked about this. I hope that comes together. We've wanted to go to Croatia for the past several years. We almost hopped over there when we were having MicroConf in Barcelona. We never made it. So very excited. Only other thing for me is we had kind of a thanks and a a high five from a guy named John Elliott with EquipmentWallet.com. And he says, in 2012, I started a web product that I soon abandoned. As a single non-technical co-founder, I simply lacked many skill sets at the time to get anywhere. However, I never stopped believing in the concept of what I set out to do. In August of 2017, I relaunched EquipmentWallet.com. It's a marketplace that matches businesses seeking equipment financing with lenders who bid for their business. Your podcast to me has been educational, tactical, and most of all, motivational. It's been part of my journey and helped me revisit my project and get it out there. Thanks to you both.
0: That's awesome. Thanks, John. We really appreciate you letting us know about that.
1: Yep. It's always it's always good to hear you know success stories and people um, getting to launch and uh, revenue milestones and all that stuff. He also has a P.S. He says, "Are there any previous episodes you can point me to regarding selecting or selling through affiliates? Pros and cons using a service like Commission Junction or not?" I honestly, I would go to com and in that search box type in affiliates or affiliate marketing and see what comes up. I am guessing in 400 episodes, we've talked about this. I don't know if we spent an entire episode on it, but you can, even if you download a handful of Q&A episodes and kind of, you know, listen through them at 2X, I think we have kind of laid out a lot of our thoughts on this topic at some point or another.
0: That's a little known hack that on our website, because we have all the transcripts available, everything's searchable. So you can go through and if you have a specific topic that you're looking for, you can just go in, type in a couple of keywords and search and see what episodes come up. And quite frequently, there's something there when you're searching for something like affiliates or a specific company. So you can usually find it there. It's nice to have that though. I remember you and I went back and forth on this a number of years ago as to whether or not we were going to continue doing transcripts. And I've always found them to be helpful to be able to Go back and and find those. Although I did see recently they I think that Google is starting to take videos and MP3s that they find on the internet. And if they have the links to them, then they'll also transcribe them.
1: Yeah, I would imagine that because they want to index everything, right?
0: Right, right. So they'll do like a speech-to-text translation and then make it so that you can find those things and, and incorporate them into their search
1: engine. Yep that is a little known hack that i use often when people ask have you ever spoken about this i oftentimes i can't remember and i go to the site and i search it so it is kind of neat to have transcripts of hundreds of hours of us chatting definitely so what are we talking about today
0: so today we're going to be talking about how to pick a customer acquisition strategy. And this is based very largely on an article that we're going to link to over on themarketingstudent.com. And it talks a little bit about customer acquisition strategies and difference different tactics and strategies and how to think about them. And so what we're going to do is we're going to basically run down the article itself and go through this as a, and use that article as an outline and kind of give our take on certain pieces of it.
1: Cool. Let's dive in.
0: So, the first part is essentially differentiating between tactics and strategies, because the article itself is on customer acquisition strategies. So, it starts off by differentiating between those two. And it says, tactics are the ones that you see all over the place. How do you use LinkedIn to contact people and scale up your outreach efforts? Or how do you reduce your onboarding by 17%? And this is how such and such company did it. But the reality is that, like, those are all tactics versus strategies are things that people don't talk a lot about and they tend to be overlooked because it's the tactics that people are going to be able to put into place and are actionable versus the strategies which give you really a foundation for how you're going to be approaching those things versus like the tactics are stacked on top of it. And that's really how they they phrase this as a strategy is the foundation and tactics are the things that you stack on top of strategy in order to make it work. So if, if you don't have a strategy for something, then you're going to be drowning in the tactics because you're going to be trying all these different things and they don't necessarily all fit together well because they're not part of a cohesive strategy.
1: Yeah. And, and that's one comment I was going to make is notice that the title of this article is how to pick a customer acquisition strategy that will get you to 100 million in, I'm assuming ARR. And I was going to say, if that said how to pick a customer acquisition tactic that will get you there, that would be a misleading headline because I don't believe there is, except in extremely rare cases, a single tactic that's going to get you there. Whereas if you have an overarching strategy and you throw a bunch of tactics under there, then that, that makes more sense. So I like to think of strategy much like you said. It's this umbrella under which a bunch of tactics kind of fall.
0: The next piece that they lead into is is how to think about your acquisition strategy and how do you come up with it? And one way is that is kind of obvious is to look at existing companies that are at the level that you want to get. So, they use uh, $100 million companies as the basis. So, if you wanted it to get your own company to $100 million, you'd look for other $100 million companies that have a similar business model to yours. So, with that said, like we're going to dive into three different pieces of it that they talk about. And the first one is identifying what your business model is is. And this is all about figuring out what your customer lifetime value is, how much you're going to get from a given customer or account, or how you're going to be selling your software or your services, how they're going to be packaged together. And from there, you backtrack a little bit to say, OK, well, how many customers or accounts is it going to take me at this number or this price point in order to get me there? And it can range anywhere from like if you have 100 customers each paying you $1 million, then that's what will get you there, versus if you have a million customers who are either each paying you $100 a year, then that would also get you to $100 million. And the whole point of this, Part 1, is to identify what your business model looks like and the price points that you are going to be expecting customers to come in at in order to be able to build your business out to get to that level.
1: And something to think about here is they keep talking about this $100 million mark because that's what funded companies shoot for, because that's when you can get acquired for a $1 billion or you can IPO or whatever, you don't have to think like that. Like, if you look around at a, a successful competitor, even if, the, let's say they're a bootstrap SaaS company doing two, three, four million, and they're in an adjacent space, but you see that they're just killing it with a certain sales funnel, or a certain types of Facebook ads, or, you know, a certain ad network you haven't heard of, or with the affiliate webinar model, or with, I mean, there's all, there's all types of stuff that you can see, and then you borrow, you adapt and you use it in your space. But they don't have to be doing 100 million. They're just kind of throwing that out because I think that's how people in the, in the valley think. It's like there can be successful approaches by people who get to 500K in ARR or a million in ARR. And it may work better or worse in your space. And if you leverage it well, and if it's something your competitors are not doing, which is a key thing, right? If they're doing it, it's not to say you shouldn't do it, but it just becomes harder because you guys are both you know, similar product and marketing in a similar similar way. It just becomes a lot of noise. But if you can figure out a way to, again, borrow something from an adjacent space and bring it into your market, that's a really good way to, to uh, think about it.
0: And that's kind of what we're doing with the way that they've laid out this customer acquisition strategy, because you can take that number of 100 million and say, okay, well, let's scale this down. Let's instead of shooting for 100 million, let's shoot for 1 million. Like, how how do you take this strategic approach and just, you know, chop off a couple of zeros from that and say, okay, this is what we're shooting for. And I I do find it interesting the way that they lay out the 100 customers paying you 1 million versus million customers paying you $100 a year. And the different levels they have are 100 customers, 1,000. Ten thousand, 10,000, 100,000, and then 1 million, and they essentially map them to different types of animals. So, the $1 million a year customer is an elephant, and then the next one down, the $100,000 customer is a, a deer, and then they have rabbits, mice, and then flies. And That's how they kind of categorize these different types of customers, and it's really just a, a matter of scaling for them. The second part of this is identifying the right hunting strategy that you're going to be using to target these types of customers. And they specifically call out Aaron Ross's Spears Nets and Seeds Acquisition Framework for this. And if you're not familiar with that, we'll have the links in the show notes for this. But essentially, the idea is that there's different types of tactics that you can use to acquire those customers. And Spears is an acquisition strategy that you're going to have to do a lot of legwork for this. You're going to have to do like outbound sales. You're going to have to do business development uh, exhibits. There's a lot of, I don't want to call it manual labor, but there's a lot of human elements or human labor that is involved in it that that there's just a lot of work. It's hard to automate some of those things. The second one is with using nets. And that's something where you pull in a large number of prospects all at the same time. So, these are things like blogging or content networking or webinars or PR, things like that. And a lot of those people are going to end up being useless as prospects, but you're going to get a lot of the ones that you're also looking for. And then seeds is the strategy to grow your customer base essentially on its own because it's you're, you're gathering those up in such a way that you want to help them grow. And in essence, they will then turn around and help you grow. So it's partly uh, leaning on word of mouth, viral campaigns, and any other sort of customer interaction where you get those people to help you grow. So think of a a very common example that people use is Dropbox, where they would give you free storage space in exchange for you sharing it. So that's a, a viral campaign that is also customers helping you to acquire customers.
1: Right, and then they give examples of a few companies that do it, and they say, like, Salesforce did the Spears model, which is the direct human involvement, right? It's high-touch sales, as we call it here. Zero, which is an accounting package, does the Nets model, and that is blogging, content marketing, PR-type stuff. And that's what most of the B2B SaaS apps that we, you know, kind of, we frequent, the non-enterprise ones that are not doing high-touch sales. That's that's a common approach here. And then um, Dropbox and Facebook, they kind of have doing kind of the seeds approach. And I, I think this is a Good thought experiment. I think it's probably pretty easy for you to answer. Like, if your price point is going to be low, then yes, you need some virality, or you need organic search, or you need a a traffic source that's basically going to be free because you need customer acquisition to be very low. And I think of you know a lot of the bootstrappers we know who do WordPress plugins. They get that free traffic in essence from WordPress.org from the plugin repo, and then they they you take that big wide funnel, and it's kind of a freemium model, and they sell add ons that are that are paid to that, and you can get a a nice little business based on that, and that really. As you know, a a net of sorts. It's much less a viral approach. So it wouldn't be like seeds. And it's definitely not, you know, the one-on-one spear stuff. But if you have a high purchase price, let's say you have the potential to sell deals that are 10K a year, 20K a year and up. That's when you really want to think about, you still want, to do the Nets stuff, you know, which is where the blogging, content marketing, and PR, you still want to think about doing that and driving inbound traffic, but then using the spear approach, using the high touch sales as much as you can, because you're just going to close a lot more sales once you do that. And I don't remember what the exact numbers were, but I remember when we brought Anna on at Drip, I had been doing some sales demos here and there, and I really didn't enjoy them. And I wasn't, wasn't particularly good at them and always kind of put them off because I just, just wasn't a thing that I liked to do. But once we brought Anna in and she started really being customer success and sales, we started closing, I, it was like two times or three times the number of higher value deals. And at the time, you know, high value was, I think it was like 150 a month and up or something. And that like starts moving your, your, your MRR in a hurry. If you can close... 10, 20 of those a month and, you know, you've been growing at a, at a few grand a month, you're growing two, three grand a month and suddenly you can double growth uh, by doing that. So anyways, I, I see a lot of value in kind of taking a couple of these approaches. I don't think you need to be so focused or so kind of differentiated between not doing parts of both because I think, you know, I think actually all three of these are, are good if you can make them work.
0: In general, I think that most of the uh, SaaS companies that we tend to encounter on, on a regular basis, like in our circles, tend to use like the net strategy, where you're doing content marketing or you're publishing articles and collecting an email list, and like that's that's generally the way it's done. Because I think with seeds, it feels to me like that's a model that you almost need to have funding for, because you need to be able to pay for that in some way, shape, or form. And like with Dropbox, they had funding, so. It was easy for them to pay for that, and then with Spears, like it takes a lot of manual effort to like drop a sales rep in to go talk to some enterprise customer, and you know it's six months to a year to land them as a customer, and you need to be able to have the runway in order to do that. So I, I feel like most bootstrapped businesses tend to concentrate on the net strategy, and that in some ways dictates the types of customers that you're going to attract as well, because you can either. Pick which customer you're going to go after and then hone the types of tools that you're going to use and the the strategy that you're going to use to get them. Or if you do it the other way around, then you're going to be pointed specifically in one direction at the type of customer that you're going to end up with. So in part three of this article, we're going to basically skip over this and we're going to, because they drill into a couple of different things with those strategies. So the first one that with Spears, they talk about Salesforce and HubSpot. The second one with Nets, they talk about zero. And then with uh, Seeds, they talk about Dropbox and Facebook. So we're going to kind of skip over those just because Rob had talked about them a little bit, but we're going to talk more specifically about the types of approaches you can use in these areas, specifically for like as a bootstrap business, because I think it's going to be more relevant to the people listening to this. So with Spears, you know, Rob, you actually just had a, a great anecdote about how you had had Anna doing the, some of those sales calls and those one-to-one customer success calls. So like, how did that, like, did you transition from having you do it to somebody else do it just because you didn't like doing it? Or was it because you saw that there was potential there that you really wanted to capture and, and go after?
1: It was more, it was less about not liking it because frankly, if I didn't like it, and I didn't think there'd be very many. I would have just done them. But I felt like we were leaving money on the table by not having someone who could get good at the demos, who could really work with customers, spend more time. And I did not have the time. That was much more of a time constraint. I mean, the, the job of a founder over time is to fire yourself from every job, right? So when Derek and I started, he was writing the code. He and I were doing product together. And then I was doing everything else. And there was a lot. It was marketing. And it was sales. And it was demos. And it was I was even doing email support early on before, before I brought someone on to do that. So one by one, I just started firing myself from those. And bring Anna on, I was going to hand her a lot of the marketing and the sales, and it turned out she was really good at customer success, and she was good at the other things too. But like customer success is where she really excelled. And it turns out that there's a nice overlap between sales and customer success if you're doing it well and you're trying to truly help someone understand not just what the product does, but how it, how it can help that person. So I think it's a, it's a good example to think about. In the early days, you have to be you always have to be choosy about what you're doing, but in the early days, you have to be really picky about it, and you have to just find that one channel, maybe two channels that are going to get you to the point where you have enough money to hire that next person, right? And then once you have that next person, now you can either hand them one of the channels to manage, you can have them find new channels, or you can hand them both of the channels you already have going, and you go out and find the new ones. And it depends on the type of person you hire and and what you enjoy doing. Do you enjoy just blocking and tackling on the stuff you already know, or do you enjoy going out and finding those new strategies? You're not going to need 10 marketing strategies to get to set seven or eight figures in revenue. Um, You can do it with really a very small amount. Often it's between one and three that you really get working. It, you know, it depends on the app, obviously, but the, if you really get one to three cranking, you just wash, rinse, repeat. And you see startups doing it over and over. You look at how lead pages grew with their Clay's affiliate webinar model. I uh, look at how Hittail grew. It was a lot of uh, Facebook ads and SEO were the two things that grew Hittail. We look at Moz, you know, Rand Fishkin's company grew through a ton of content and content marketing. HubSpot was a combination of content plus sales for, you know, having a sales force. So it's, you know, it's not like you need to master 10 different things in order to, to really grow a company.
0: I think the interesting thing here that is that they talk about spears and they relate them back to Salesforce and HubSpot and those two are really focused on extremely large customers and they're they're going after like the elephants as they as they put it people are going to pay them lots of money but I think that in the very early days of a bootstrapped software company you can use that strategy and, and almost you have to use that strategy because you have to try and figure out who your ideal customer is so you don't want to cast a wide net and end up with you know hundred or thousands of people who are all a wrong fit for your company. Like you want to specifically pick and choose. Like I want to go after companies that are making between 1 million and 5 million, and these are the parameters, and this is the person I want to try and talk to. And if that works and those people turn into customers, then you want to keep going after them. But if you're casting a wide net and you're trying to get lots of people into your sales funnel, then it's a lot harder to do that because you're getting a lot of data, but you don't have any way to quantify like, whether it's the right data from the right people. So, I think that using that, that spear strategy when you're very, very early on to help you figure out, like, are these the right people to talk to? Like, that's a very viable approach. Once you've gotten past the point of figuring out the attributes of your ideal customer, then you start using strategies and tactics that fall under the Nets category. And that's because you know who it is that you're targeting, and you can run like paid advertising, for example, and you can specifically target those people. You can write articles and blog posts and publish them, knowing that you're going to attract the right types of people, because in those articles, you can talk about the types of problems that those people are having. So, it allows you to grow... The business and the number of people that you're bringing in. And not all of them are going to be a great fit, but most of them will be because of what you learned using the Spears approach early on.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is, you know, when you're first starting out, this, this applies more to bootstrappers, because if, if you are venture funded, a lot of them set up sales forces and they do that, they do the spear stuff even to a hundred million. But for bootstrappers, I, that is an interesting thing to think about. That progression of starting with spears while you're doing customer development, moving to to nets, which is kind of the big that's getting the funnel going and and getting a lot of customers in that funnel, and whether you're closing them self service, whether you're doing low touch, medium touch sales, doesn't I mean doesn't really matter. I, I think the the higher touch sales you can do in almost all cases, leads to higher conversion rate, at least with people who want that kind of, uh, you know, the extra hand holding. And then with seeds, if you're in super early stage, you know, let's say you have 50 customers, seeds don't work because you don't have the momentum yet. It's when you get 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 customers that everybody starts talking about you. And then if there's a referral program, or there's a way for you know, them to, to bring other people in, or you, you get that mini brand in that, you know, either in the vertical or just with those thousands of people, that's when seed stuff really starts working. So it is kind of interesting to think about it as something they didn't say in the article at all, but it's like life cycle, right? It's like step one, step two, step three, uh, at least loosely.
0: And then the last one is seeds, which it's hard to get your customers or it's hard to move the needle in your business if you're relying on customers to help you let other people know that they could become a customer of yours. If you don't already have customers, Because so that's really much a that's really a classic chicken and egg problem. If you don't have any customers, they're not going to be able to grow your business enough. I mean, maybe if you're going if you've got one customer and they refer one person, you can grow by 100 percent. But it's really difficult to even get that level out of it. So the seed strategy is really Really something that you can't really implement until after you have a, a customer base and you know that you're solving their problem in such a way that makes them happy enough to be able to refer other people that they know into your application. And that's mainly because it's, there's a lack of trust there. Like you need to be able to get them to a point where you're solving the problem well enough that they trust you in order to say, Hey, I'm willing to expend my social capital, invite some of my friends to using this product because it, it's helpful or, solves a a valuable problem for me. I do think that there's uh, cases where that is not necessarily as applicable, especially in like a B2C environment. So like social sharing, for example, that's a very low ask for people versus referring somebody as an actual paying customer. So there's a bit of a difference, I think, between like a referral program versus, hey, invite somebody else to use this free app that, you know, you and 25 of your friends are already using.
1: Yeah, with with B2B stuff, it depends on how deep into the B2B you are. Is it like truly B2C? Is it B to kind of very small business? Is it B to prosumers, which are more like uh photographers or are you getting into like B to mid business and B to uh enterprise? Each of those really has a different kind of seed model, like a different of uh, virality as as we look. You know, Facebook certainly is on the certainly B2C period, like it's not really a business platform, even though people are running businesses on it now and trying to promote them, but it's spread because of the very much consumers linking up with one another. And that's going to be a very different model than if you're selling software that's, let's say, 10, 20 grand a year. They're not going to do things for the same reasons, right? They're going to tell, they're going to make recommendations because, you know, they go to a trade show and someone asks, hey, which software do you use for this? Or I don't know, you can do affiliate programs, can work, but it's, it's, it just, it depends on, really, it depends on the space at that point. Um, whereas with consumers, I think the affiliate stuff and the giveaways makes, makes a lot more sense. So we could probably do a whole episode. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too far, but I think there's a lot of different approaches you can use here if you're trying to, to go the seed route and go, uh, go for virality. So I think that wraps us up for today. And again, we will link to the marketingstudent.com's article that we talked through today. And if you have a question for us, call our voicemail number at 888-801-9690 or email us at questions at startupswitharestofus.com. And if you do it as, a, as an MP3 or another type of audio file, those always go straight to the top of the question queue. Our theme music is an excerpt from We're Out of Control by Moot. It's used under Creative Commons. Subscribe to us in iTunes by searching for Startups and visit startupswitharestofus.com for a full transcript of each episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.